Section 5 of Short Stories from Locomotive Engineer's Journal, Volume 52. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Short Stories from Locomotive Engineer's Journal, Volume 52, by Various. Section 5. The Social Ladder, by Ethel Holmes. A stagecoach lumbered up a zigzag road in the Rocky Mountains. On the outside seat behind the driver sat a gentleman whose eminently respectable travelling suit and his clean-cut features indicated that he was to the manner born. Beside him sat a young man in the costume of the country. His shirt was flannel. His hat was a sombrero. On the next seat back sat a lady, the aristocratic gentleman's wife, and beside her a girl of nineteen, their daughter the man in the sombrero was telling them about the mountains and its people and pointing out the more prominent peaks to which the travellers listened with great interest the sun was hot the pace was slow and the two combined tended to make the driver drowsy when the coach reached an eminence and started down an incline instead of being wide awake to the dangers of mountain travel he was nodding he not only failed to put on the brake but dropped the reins he was awakened by the shouts of the passengers behind him, who saw a terrible death staring them in the face. The horses, unchecked, started down the slope, and were soon going at a breakneck pace. The driver basely abandoned his post, and, putting his foot on the iron step beside him, swung himself to the ground. The young man who had been pointing out objects of interest let himself down over the footboard onto the tongue, gathered up the reins, quickly remounted to the box, put on the brake, and managed to reduce the pace sufficiently to enable the coach to turn a curve without going over a precipice. Then after a further short descent he brought the horses to a standstill. The first sensation that came to him after it was all over was feeling the arms of the aristocratic gentleman about his neck. One day, a couple of years after this episode, Mrs. Murphy and her daughter, while bowling along Ocean Avenue at Newport, received a terrible shock. "'Oh, heavens, mother, there is Barton Keith! Look the other way! Quick!' Miss Murphy, pretending to see something to which she desired to call her mother's attention, pointed in the opposite direction from the young man. The carriage rolled by, and the women began to discuss the situation." "'What in the world could have brought him here?' exclaimed the mother. "'I would as soon have expected to see a Mississippi pilot. "'Bart has been a stage-driver. "'He'll tell everybody here all about our antecedents. "'He won't know anyone to tell. "'It seems hard to cut him after that affair you had with him. "'There have been changes since then. "'At that time father was building his little branch railroad. "'He hadn't got on to the main line.' "'Well, I don't think there's much danger, considering that he can't have any entree here. Heaven knows what a time we've had even to get in on the outer circle. How can Bart Keith with no money get in at all?' "'He may be prosperous. He's well enough dressed.' "'Yes, he quite looked like one of the swells. I wonder why he's here.' That night there was a grand function at one of the cottages and the next morning mary murphy ran to her mother with a newspaper in her hand and her eyes wide open for land's sake mother listen to this among those present at mrs allerton's last night was mr barton keith you don't mean it 
How in the name of conscience do you suppose he got in there? I can't imagine. I know we couldn't get a bed. He must have a pull somewhere. Your father had a pull, but it didn't work. He offered Peter Jones a tip on the stock of a road if he'd get him an invitation to the Atherton's. But Pete said they were of the old New York blue blood and rich besides. These people who have both blood and money are the hardest of all to move. Oh ho! Here's the explanation. And she read a social item. Mr. Barton Keith is visiting Mr. and Mrs. Emerson Forbes. Oh, my goodness gracious! exclaimed the mother. How in the world did he ever get in with them? There was a silence between the two, which Mary ended by saying, Mother, we've gone and done it. So we have. We must find a way to take a back track. So we must. But we are entirely ignorant of the key to the position. What do you mean by that? We don't know what reason the Forbes have for taking in Bart. Do you suppose they know what he's been? Of course they do. Bart couldn't keep it if he wished. That's the singular part of it. The Forbes have been prominent in New York and Newport society for a hundred years. But one thing I've noticed in these old families, they're more independent about whom they take up than any other people. I can't imagine those Perkinses who made their money in fertilizing material having anything to do with Bart Keith. You know how they snubbed us. Yes, indeed I do. And I'm waiting for the time to come when I can get even with them. But, Mother, how are we to fix it up with Bart? <sighs> I don't know, Mame, unless you have the same power you used to have over him. Mame cast a glance in a mirror. Art had done a great deal for her since she waited on the railroad men her mother fed in their days of poverty. Nothing that money could buy was now denied her. But she knew Bart Keith well. He had loved her in calico, and to love her in costly fabrics must incite an entirely new sensation. Besides, he was in the swim at Newport, where he would meet the finest costumes in America, to say nothing of the women they encased. To make matters worse, she had cut him. Mother, she said, I believe I'll write him a line saying I've heard of his being in Newport, and telling him we're here. That'll look as if we hadn't seen him on the avenue. Do you think he tumbled to it? The girl pondered a while, then admitted that she knew very well he wouldn't. Their eyes had met, and there had been a mutual recognition. She dared not write the note. But one morning she received a note from Keith. He told her that, having heard she was at Newport, he had come on from the west to find her. But time had made great changes for both of them, and he did not doubt she was following a course which seemed inviting to her in her new sphere. He shrank from parting with her without letting her know that he had kept the boyish promises made years ago. He refrained from mentioning the cut she had given him, but it was evident it was this that had turned him from her. He closed his epistle with the word farewell, and she knew that he had passed beyond recall. For a time the Murphys heard that Keith was being introduced under the wing of the Forbeses. Then they began to hear his name mentioned among the people, and in the society notes independently of his introducers, and it was not long before they learned that which travels on the wings of the wind. Keith was rich, 
he had become interested in certain western speculations with mr forbes and the two had made money together then came a rumor that keith was to marry miss alice forbes up to this time the murphys had merely wondered now they were astonished and over mary murphy came a wave of regret it was not for the loss of barton keith's wealth or position it was for keith himself the prize they sought for and for which she had snubbed the lover of her young girlhood every day seemed farther from her grasp despite their millions the murphys found it impossible to effect an entrance into newport society mary had become accustomed to wealth and it failed to satisfy her she was hungry for the boyish love that had been hers in poverty but she had thrown it away the report that keith was to marry miss alice forbes proved true when the engagement was formally announced the Murphys read in the society columns of a New York newspaper a story concerning the contracting parties that gave them the key to the situation. It told how Mr. and Mrs. Forbes and their daughter were traveling in the Rocky Mountains, how a stage driver fell asleep, how a young man who had been formerly a handler of the ribbons saved the passengers from death, how Mr. Forbes had taken him up and enabled him to make a fortune. But the story did not tell the most important feature that had led to the union. A young girl seeing an act of cool bravery on the part of a young man. The wedding of Barton Keith and Alice Forbes was not celebrated with that splendor usual to nuptials in the fashionable world. It was said that this was in deference to the wishes of the groom, who bore the reputation of being an extremely modest man. He devoted himself to business, his only recreation being driving foreign hands, and this was supposed to be in memory of experiences of former days. "'Mother,' said Mary Murphy one day, "'I have a plan.' "'What is it, Mame?' "'We can't break through the shell of this new poured egg. "'We must go elsewhere.' "'Where shall we go?' "'To London.' "'Good gracious, daughter! "'If we can't succeed here, "'how can we do so among the British nobility?' "'Others who have failed here have succeeded there. "'Leave it to me.' Money, dear mother, is the power that opens doors wherever money is needful. These British nobles are getting poor. Our people are getting rich. Many here have always been rich, and some care nothing about becoming richer. In England, commoners have been getting rich, while the nobles have been getting poor. Noblemen would prefer to marry an American to a commoner of their own country, there being no titles here. I shall go to London, marry a title, and come back here for just long enough to snub those who have snubbed us. Two years later, Mary Murphy returned to Newport as the Countess of Munkinen. Her advent was heralded, and when she arrived, invitations were piled on her table. Before looking for those she intended to accept, she picked out those from certain people who had snubbed her as Miss Murphy, and sent immediate regrets. End of Section 5 The Social Ladder by Ethel Holmes